well, today we want to we want to shift our focus from kind of the big picture of parenting, from the fact that we are called to be godly parents ourselves, to be an example for our kids, and then to use the tools that God has given us of of discipline and instruction to shape our kids and to be an instrument in in their lives to looking at some practical issues this week and next. Um, there's a lot of different ones we could choose to focus on. I mean, we, we could uh, uh, think about uh, any number of things, but there's five or six that I want us to, to walk through. Uh, today, we're gonna focus on two issues, the issues of, of gender and the issues of, of media and technology. And again, we can't cover all that we could uh, say about those two issues, but just want us to, to, to think together about the implications of what we've already learned about parenting for those issues and, and in some ways, just, um, just help us to begin thinking about how do we even think about issues that are going to come up. And uh, you know, I, I was looking back um, on something I did when I was in, uh, in youth ministry on parents and technology from uh, probably 10 years ago, something like that. And all the technology was so funny. It was like, uh, like MySpace. Anybody remember MySpace? <laughs> um, you know, so it, it's not that the, the technology is going to be the same, but the issues that come up, you know, what you, those of you that, like my 15-year-old daughter wanted Instagram, that was what she wanted. If you have a three-year-old, they, they will probably think Instagram, why would I, that's like what my grandma uses or something by the time they get to that age. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's gonna be different, but there's some principles that I think can be helpful for us. You know, there's a, a quote on the top of your handout uh, that says, this from Ted Tripp in the, the forward, his, his forward to the book, The Faithful Parent. He says, in the simplest of times, raising children is an overwhelming task. Everybody agree with that? Yeah. Uh, these are not, unfortunately, the simplest of times. Many voices are giving competing and often contradictory messages. The need of the hour is the timeless clarity and wisdom of the word of God. The Bible is robust, providing solid counsel, tailor-made for every era and culture. The greatest need of parents is biblical knowledge, coupled with the wisdom and understanding needed to break down the application of Scripture into sensible and doable training and nurture of children. That, that's our, our heart, and, and that's what each of us are here and desire, is that God would give us the wisdom to, to understand the issues that we face, that our kids face, and to uh, to apply that well in how we, how we parent. Now, it is easy for us sometimes to think, you know, oh, woe is us, we're just living in this, this worst possible time to parent. And, and, and again, it's not that our times are great, uh, but there have been unique challenges of every season and, and every period of human history, there were things parents faced. We have some unique ones because of the, the day and age in which we live that we wanna focus our time on. Uh, but the key is recognizing that Scripture is clear, and it gives us wisdom. Now that doesn't mean it gives us, hey, here's how you should make decisions about your kids in MySpace or Facebook, uh, but it, it gives us principles that in wisdom we can apply to the circumstances of life. Now, because they're principles, it means it won't always look exactly the same. It doesn't mean that how we have chosen to handle things with our kids as it relates to media and technology is exactly the same as how you must choose to handle media and technology. They're, yeah, your family's different, your kids are different. Uh, but there are principles that we all wanna be faithful to commit to and, and seek to apply. Uh, so we, we do have to guard against saying there's one way these issues have to look in every family. Uh, at the same time, we don't want to say, eh, doesn't matter what we do on issues that are, are more, um, more related to the times in which we live. So the first issue that we want to think about together today is that of gender, of raising boys and girls. And as Tom, uh, you, you might have heard Tom mention or seen some emails and, and signs up, we're going to focus on this issue with kids during the marriage and singleness conference. Um, you know, as, as we do these conferences, my mind always goes to what are we going to do with the kids? And sometimes it's easy. We're going to talk about Bible study with adults, so we're going to talk about Bible study and the Bible with kids. Um, marriage and singleness, it's like, huh, are we going to focus with kids on singleness? <laughs> so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 7 and talk about how, how they can use their season of singleness to serve the Lord. And, and yeah, we, we may mention that a little bit. You know, we want to 
teach that a little bit. Um, but we're going to step back and look at the issues that are really behind marriage. And, and that's that issue of gender. You know, if you asked me 15 years ago, would we need to do a program with kids on what is marriage and, and gender? I would have thought, you know, that's kind of just an assumed reality. Um, but that's not true anymore. And so these issues are more complex now and, uh, and they are more challenging and we need to speak with clarity to our kids in a way that uh, still communicates grace for the culture that we live in, that we are not, uh, not hostile towards others. We love others, but we do want to stand firmly on the convictions of, of scripture. And so one issue that is, is, has very competing and contradictory messages, as Tripp said, is that of gender. And so if we're going to instill in our kids and try to help our kids to embrace the biblical view of gender and, and of marriage, what does that look like for us? Well, I think it starts for us with developing a, a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity. If you turn to, to Genesis 1, you know, in some ways, because 10 or 15 years ago, it was kind of accepted that marriage is a man and a woman and, and there's some general, you know, gender falls into two categories, male and female. There was um, maybe less clarity on really what that means biblically on the robust teaching of scripture. And in some ways, the, the complications and the challenges of our culture forces us to say, what really are the truths that the scriptures teach related to these things. And scripture is not silent on issues of gender. If you look at Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26, our, our theme verse is verse 27 for the conference kids program. It says this, then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. From the very beginning, what was God's design for mankind? It was multiple genders, two genders, male and female, coming together to represent God, to be the image bearer of God and, and to rule over the earth. And those two genders, chapter two makes it clear, are to come together in marriage. Verse 18 of chapter two, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And so God formed all the beasts as he's describing this how that creation of chapter one took place in detail and, and there was not a suitable helper found. Verse 21, so God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed it up and he fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man. He brought her to the man and the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's, there's clarity. <laughs> this is how God designed. This is God's intent. And, and so part of our vision for biblical masculinity and femininity is simply recognizing God is the good designer and creator. And he has intended the, the way that he made people that there is male and female who can come together in marriage. God made people male and female, and he clearly made male and female to be different from one another. It, it's obvious in scripture the, that God highlights that reality, you know, even how he made them, the timing of how he made them, physically different, and God gave men and women different roles. We cannot deny the fact that God made men and women different with different roles in the home and in the church. And yet we also see the reality in Genesis 1 that they are spiritually equal before God. They are both in the image of God representing him in the world. You see that in Galatians 3, 28 and, and elsewhere. The spiritual equality. 
And so our biblical view of masculinity and femininity has to have all of that. This is God's good design. There are differences and distinctions, different roles, and yet spiritual equality. Now how, over the history of, of, uh, of, of the church, how have those things been undermined or neglected? Well, sometimes it's been on the equality of men and women that has been neglected. And there's been a, a disregard for the value of, of women in, in the culture as a whole as reflected in the worldview or even in the church. Sometimes it has been the distinctiveness that has been minimized. That's more our day and age. And, and so our, our vision can't say, well, we're, we're going to respond to one thing that the culture has missed and in doing so go so far the other direction that we miss part of what the Bible clearly teaches, we've got to keep the full picture in front of us, those full realities. And so God made male and female, he made them distinct and yet spiritually equal and valuable in God's eyes. And and he has called them to display unique, unique characteristics to fulfill the role that God has given them. It's not to say that we have different sets of character that we should be striving after, but uniqueness in the roles that God has given. And so we read in passages like 1 Corinthians 16, if you flip over there. Verse 13, where Paul writes to the church and he says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. You know, to even say the phrase, act like men, implies that there is something that should characterize men, and it's distinct in in ways from women. He's summarizing some of that here. Be on the alert, stand firm, be strong. That doesn't mean women shouldn't be firm in the faith or, or have a strength of character and conviction or be done in love, but those are unique things that Paul says should, should, uh, should especially characterize those who are, who are men. We see in, in passages like 1 Timothy 2, other characteristics, and Titus chapter 2 in particular. Turn to Titus for the sake of, of time, which highlights very clearly these Priorities for men and women, verse 1 of Titus chapter 2, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. These are the realities that, that should flow out of the truth that we believe and the truth that God has revealed in our practical lives. He says, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Does that mean that nobody else should be those things? Oh, they're generally true characteristics, but they're especially true and, and in some ways challenging for men. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God will not be dishonored. And likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Or you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, which describes the, the, the wife as, as one who is um, submissive and respectful of her husband as adorning herself, not with external beauty only, but with the hidden person of uh, a gentle and quiet heart, a trusting heart. And husbands, in verse 7, living with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And, and on and on we could go to, to other texts that highlight this is what it looks like to be a godly man and a godly woman in your character and in the roles that God has given within the home and within the church. And so we see things like biblical masculinity being defined by things like leadership and provision and and care and protection for others, but it's a a self-sacrificing leadership. It's a a, a courage and a strength of conviction to, to guide and direct in the ways that are best and right. 
We see femininity being characterized by a, a submissive, helpful heart. God made women to be a, a helpmate. That's not a lesser thing. It's just a distinctive role to, to see her husband thrive. And it means, guys, we need our wives' help, right? We can't be all God intends on our own. There's a, a nurturing, trusting hope in God that is to particularly define a godly woman. Again, not to say those shouldn't be true of the other, other gender, but particularly in those ways. Yes, we have to cultivate in ourselves and in our kids a, a vision of what those things look like. Looking at the scriptures and, and clearly recognizing this is what we're striving for. It's not enough just to say we want our kids to have a heterosexual marriage. That's the goal. Well, that is a goal, but it's not all that that goal is, right? It, there's, there's more that goes into biblical masculinity and femininity that we want to be cultivating. So we, we have to develop that vision, but secondly, we have to recognize the attacks on it. We have to be realistic about what is, is being proclaimed by our culture and, and what can subtly shape our, our thinking. You know, today we have the blurring of gender lines. I haven't looked at like Facebook in a while to see what all the gender options are, but it's, it's more than two, right? I mean, there's a, there's a blurring of that. This idea that you can be whatever you want and you can define it however you want. And, and God says, no, there, there's male and there's female and they're distinct. There's this blurring of that. There's the idea that there really is no difference between male and female. But not only is there that blurring of the gender lines, there's also really the twisting of, of gender roles. You see this back in Genesis 3. This is inherent in, in every day and age. After the fall, when Eve was deceived and Adam knowingly embraced the, the sin of, of disobedience and rebellion against God, God came to them and was confronting them and cursed them. And he said to the woman in verse 16 of chapter three, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. As we, we've talked before, sin has made parenting hard, both physically and in other ways. It says in pain, you will bring forth children. Yet it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. See, one of the effects of sin is that the, the roles and the attitudes of, of a godly man and woman are now twisted. For men, it says, he will rule over you. See, going, gone is that, that sacrificial, humble leadership that is seeking to serve, and now is, I'm in a position of authority where I get to rule and reign. This dominance of uh, an aggressive uh, uh, oversight that, that is so easily takes the place of biblical godly leadership. For some men that ruling over is, is more passive. It's not this dominant aggressive leadership. It's just I'm gonna not fulfill the role that I'm called to and I'm gonna live how I want and often that shows up in kind of a laziness. You've got both extremes in, in how that role is twisted. We've got to be careful that we're, we're guarding against both of those. And for, for women, it's, it's that desire for your husband in verse 16. It's the same desire that's used of, of, uh, of Cain in the next chapter uh, of his desire to, to rule, to dominate. And, and so it's the, the desire not to be the helpmate who comes alongside and under and who is, is supporting and, and, um, and um, coming under the authority of, but I want that role of leadership and headship. Again, that can show up in, in seeking to usurp that role of not coming under that authority. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, our culture can respond the, the other way, particularly Christian culture, of this extreme passivity for women. Okay, that's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna just be on the other extreme and, and just be uh, really submissive to, to all men in every context. And you see that in, in uh, again, not so much in our culture, but in other cultures where the idea of women being suppressed has, has taken root. Uh, 
uh, a twisting of these things. We have to recognize those things. And as we are teaching our kids and modeling our kids, we gotta recognize there's, there's errors on both sides in a lot of those things. You know, you teach your son to be a leader and you know, to, be, uh, to, to have convictions, but if you fail to teach that that's a selfless, humble leadership, you know, he's gonna be this domineering dictator. You know, but if you just focus on selfless humility and service and you never talk about the authority and how you use that, you know, he, he may just be this, this passive uh, guy who fails to fulfill the role that God has called him to. We, we've got to recognize the different things that are, are a temptation of how this has been blurred and twisted. And then we've got to work hard to intentionally cultivate biblical masculinity and femininity. Again, this is not a guarantee. This does not mean that if you put in, you know, two tablespoons of this and a cup of this and you bake it just right, bam, out comes perfect godly woman or godly man. No, but it's what can we do as parents to nurture and cultivate this? And, and I think it, it really starts with us by delighting in it ourselves. You know, as I've been preparing for our conference, the theme that, that I keep coming back to big picture is as it relates to gender is do you trust God? God made you a particular way. Do you believe he is wise and that he is good? And do you embrace his good design for you? It comes back to our view of God. It's not really about our view of ourself. It's about our view of God. You know, and your attitude and my attitude about our own gender and gender roles and the interactions that we have with our spouse as it relates to gender roles communicates a lot to our kids. You know, moms, if, if you're communicating, yeah, this is kind of what we have to do, because God says, and we're gonna do it, we're not gonna like it. Uh, you know, and that's the message we're communicating. We're not holding up, God is good and wise, and this is best. <laughs> you know, if, if we are, are failing to embrace those roles ourselves, to delight in God's good design of those things, to, to cultivate that in ourselves, our kids will certainly pick up on that. We also have to model it. Now those characteristics, where is a boy gonna learn what it looks like to be a, a man? Well, chiefly from his father and a daughter from his mother. And so seeking to be those things ourselves, not as an, uh, simply as a, a checklist for how to influence our kids because we wanna submit to the Lord and we wanna embody what he's called us to. Also modeling it by pointing it out in, in others. Thankfully, in the body of Christ, we see a variety of, of people and get to interact with a variety of people. And that can be huge for our kids because they may not be exactly like us. Because <laughs> our personality shapes what our biblical masculinity and femininity looks like. And our child may look at you and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not wired like you in that way. And so it's going to look different. And so other examples can be huge so that they see this can look different. <laughs> And yet these principles look, this, or there's underlying principles that are there. So pointing it out in, in others, rubbing shoulders with other godly men and women. Um, you know, part of God's intent is that that's happening in the, in the larger context of the family, grandparents and others as well. But even beyond that, you know, as, especially if we don't have that in our, in our homes, uh, you know, to, to rub shoulders with others who are, are modeling that. I think even pointing out bad examples of it sometimes, not in other people so much, uh, like your, you know, your neighbor, you see your neighbor over there, but like when you watch a movie with your kids and you see a great example of a biblical uh, characteristic, maybe it's not even a godly movie, but you see something reflected that's true to point that out. That's the kind of thing, yeah, that's right. Or when you see something that's not true to say, hey, what's wrong with that view? Why should we not aspire to be a man like that? <laughs> you know, what is it that's not, not there? Model it, point it out in, in others, and, and then just encouraging it. <laughs> you know, encouraging both the character and the roles that God has called us to. You know, historically that has shown up in um, you know, the kinds of toys and things that kids played with. That doesn't mean that it's wrong for a boy to play with a baby. I hope all of you dads have changed diapers and, uh, and done things that 
um, that um, you know are serving your family. So it's not to say that a, a boy can't play with kitchen toys and, and babies and a, a girl can't uh, play with a fire truck, but, but cultivating the, the, the vision for what God would have them, th- them to do even through the things that you encourage and direct them to. You know, if you've got a daughter who's less inclined for those kinds of things and you're having a baby, get her a baby. Not because you know, you're, you're forcing that on her, but because you want her to, to appreciate and delight in what it is that the Lord has for her and let her drag her baby around while you're caring for your baby and, and maybe she doesn't care for it very well and you can encourage her in, in those ways and those things. You know, we can encourage it in how we present the qualities of a godly man or woman. You know, again, we have, we have five daughters, so we have thought about this more as it relates to girls. And, and from the time they were young, we tried to, to talk up the qualities of a, of a godly woman and, and the things that they should delight in. And so even like Titus 2, which talks about uh, being a, a worker at home and, and being loving towards children and, and some of those things, we, we want our girls to uh, appreciate those things and to delight in those things. So it's a, a privilege to get to care for others and to try to provide opportunities with nieces and nephews and, and those kinds of things where they can serve other kids. And, and it's a privilege to get to help in the kitchen preparing dinner or those kinds of things with them. You know, also just the circumstances of life, we have opportunities to encourage and, and to uh, promote these things. You know, um, part of, of this means we, we don't baby our boys. You know, uh, if we want guys to have conviction and, and strength of character to do hard things, to lead through hard things that are, that are coming in their life, uh, you know, a broken bone may not be the worst thing that could happen to your boy. You might have an opportunity because of something that they've done to commend their courage and also confront their lack of long-term thinking in that, right? So it's not that you're, you know, you, you did what? <laughs> you know, there, our, our temptation is don't do that. And, and really it's maybe, well, that, that there was some, no, some, some good things there <laughs> in your thinking, but there was also some recklessness. And so let's learn to be courageous and yet thoughtful. And, and that's the goal that we're striving for. You know, with girls, it's, it's a little different. You know, I was, we, we were at Six Flags over the holidays and uh, my daughter Allie uh, was not real excited to ride the roller coaster that all of her cousins were, the Judge Roy Scream. Uh, her dad wasn't real excited either because that one rattles me and gives me a headache. But, uh, but I, I said, you know what, I'll ride it with you. You're sitting by me and we'll do this together. And so we're hopping on that roller coaster and she's snuggled up against me and I'm, I'm telling her, you know, this is, gonna be, this is gonna be good. We're gonna have fun and you can trust that dad is right here with you. You know, you don't worry about it because I'm right here and I'm, I've got you with, with my older daughter, Anna. I remember doing the same thing on the Titan, which was way scarier than the <laughs> Judge Roy scream. And, um, and hopefully Allie will be good to go on that on her own. Um, <laughs> You know, but if, if that was a boy, I'm not really wanting um, to, to, with a girl, I'm wanting to instill, you do hard things trusting the, the provider and protector that God has placed in your life. That's a boy, you're preparing him to do what? To be that provider and protector. So it's like, son, get those hands in the air, you know? <laughs> Let's go. You know, it's not, it, it's a different mindset of what we're trying to cultivate in those, in those ways. Um, yeah, just get up. Uh, so encourage it, you know, cultivating it through the ways that we interact. Also, you know, finding it and highlighting it when you see it, when, when you see little glimpses of it, uh, encourage that in your kids. You know, some that may happen more often than others, but some it may be a, a unique time when you see a daughter display a, a compassionate, nurturing heart towards somebody. And you say, oh, I'm so encouraged to see you loving on your little brother that way or whatever it is. Redirect it, but don't, don't squash it. You know, your boy hits somebody. Your temptation is to say what? Don't ever hit somebody, right? But is that really true? No, it's not true. It's not don't ever hit somebody. It's that was not the right time and attitude <laughs> for hitting somebody, right? So it's not to say that there's never a time where you shouldn't defend somebody who is who is uh, in need or who uh, you know, is being uh, attacked and you, you step in and by a golly, you hit somebody. 
but this is not the time. You don't do that for yourself. You don't do that to defend yourself in that way. You don't do it selfishly to get what you want. So being thoughtful in how we approach those things and, and then really teaching and, and training for it, looking for opportunities and creating opportunities as we talked with our instruction last week to intentionally instill these things in the life and heart of our kids. You know, with girls, a big part of that is teaching the priority of, of inner beauty and cultivating uh, a mindset that is not focused simply on external beauty. You know, that means that uh, we get to, to think about what we wear and how we dress and, and teaching those things, but not just to say, hey, don't do this, but this is what really matters more than how you look. You know, teach your boys to, uh, to address mom respectfully. Teach your boys to be, um, uh, to be willing to serve others. Those are things that we have to be careful and thoughtful about as we seek to instill a biblical view of, of gender in our kids. You know, I think the other challenge that we face in our day and age is just how our world flaunts opposition to these things. And that means it's not enough just to teach the truth to your kids. There are times where you have to speak about this is the opposite view that you're going to hear. Again, when that is, it depends on your kid and on the circumstances that they're in. Uh, you know, wrestling with that even as I, as I prepare for our conference, you know, what do you say about the, the opposite views to a group of elementary age kids? And, a, and it's, it's more direct now than it would have been 15 years ago. Again, still being tactful, not raising issues that your kid's not thinking about, but usually as parents, we wait too long to speak frankly and, and just to, to lay out the truth with our kids about the things that they are gonna hear. And again, it comes back to that larger issue of do we trust and believe God? <laughs> this is what God has said. Are we going to believe ourselves, our culture, what we think, how we feel? Are we going to believe and trust that God is the creator and designer, that he's the one that we are going to submit to? So gender, raising boys and girls, a complicated issue in our day, but one that Scripture gives us wisdom and insight to apply in our parenting. Second issue that I want us to, to think about is that of media and technology. Here's a uh, little cartoon that kind of highlights the challenge. Mom gets a phone call from her son. Hi, Mom, it's Peter. What's up? Would it be okay if, and then there's silence on the phone, if I, uh, I saved for college? She says, absolutely. And he says to his friend, so then you can claim you said, would it be okay if I bought an Xbox with the money I've saved for college? Nice. And then she'll buy me a new cell phone. <laughs> kind of highlights the, the fact that kids um, can abuse technology <laughs> because their parents don't always know what's going on. Now, I used to think that this wouldn't happen to me. Um, because I was younger and more tech savvy. And as my kids have grown, I have realized that there is, there's so much out there that my kids are, are going to be exposed to and think about, and I am of an older generation. And there's things that change such that I don't get it all. And the temptation for parents is to say, ah, you know, it's all right. <laughs> Uh, ignorance is kind of bliss. I don't know what else is going on, and it'll be okay. But that's not an appropriate response from us as parents on this issue. It doesn't mean that you have to understand every possible thing about, uh, about technology, but you do have a responsibility to be aware and engaged. 1 Samuel chapter 3 Verse 10 and following, the Lord came and stood and called for Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will carry out against Eli 
all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of his house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. I don't think Eli knew every single detail of what his kids were doing, but he knew enough to do something about it. And with technology, if we just put our head in the sand and assume the best, we are knowing enough and we're not doing anything about it. We've got to be willing to uh, engage on these things. Now, we can have the, the reaction of just saying, well, we're just not going to do any of that. <laughs> like, nothing. We're going to shut it off. Um, and that's also not necessarily a, a helpful thing as we will see. So as we think about media and technology, you know, media being really the communication of, of worldview and varieties of ways and technology being the, um, the, the mechanisms through which that comes and also other variety of other things that, uh, that can uh, help and shape our lives. Uh, I want us to think first about our understanding. What do we need to recognize about media and technology? You know, one of the first things we have to recognize is that media is intended to feed self. It's about you. You know, this, this has always been true in produced media where the producer is just trying to reflect you back to you in a way that you love and engage in. You know, social media has taken this to a whole new level where it's like this is clearly all, you know, not in every context and every use, but this is all about me. You know, when my daughter wants to post something on Instagram, why does she want to post that? What is it about? Well, most of the time, it has something to do with who? Her. Not always. Sometimes it's somebody else that she wants to highlight and spotlight. But it's, it's just intended to be focusing on us. That doesn't mean that it has to be in every situation, but that's how it's intended because people like themselves and that's how you make money is by feeding people's self. We all inherently gravitate to that. Media also reflects culture. You know, the, the producers of media are seeking to give you what you want and they're also then driving you to think the way that they want you to think. Rarely, secular media, rarely does secular media give biblical solutions, but there are times where it rightly identifies the issues, it just doesn't solve them. So it, it reflects what's going on in the world around us, and, and that can be a helpful thing to, to see and dialogue about, to recognize these things, but we don't want to just drink the Kool-Aid and embrace what they're selling and what their solutions are. Along that same line, it, it intentionally presents a world view. You know, somebody said magazines are um, gospel tracks for someone's view of heaven, the, the, the advertisements and all the things that go in there. You know, it's this is what you need to be happy. This is what you need to be satisfied. You know, we, we are getting a world view. This is what I believe is true. This is what I believe you need. This is what I believe why you were here. This is what is, is the realities. You know, if you think of media, kids' media, what does media present as heaven for a child? What does every child need according to common cultural media of the day? What is it? Okay, they need cell phone, they need technology, they need all sorts of things. Sugar. Yeah, if you have, I mean, don't your kids believe that? If they have sugar and they have technology, iPad, cell phone, something, life is good, right? Is that true? No, it's not true. They think it's true. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's a worldview that is, is present in those things. You know, it's fascinating how that trickles down to different ways of interaction. I mean, um, how, how many of the newer children's movies and TV shows, what they present about even the issue we just talked about, gender. Uh, and, and used to be they, they didn't flaunt the... Um, you know, the, the blurring of gender lines so much, although that is becoming more common, uh, but just how they characterize gender and how they characterize roles within the home. I mean, there, there are very few recent kids' movies, at least that I'm aware of, that present a biblically masculine father figure 
and the appropriate roles and relationships in a family flow out. Usually it's dad is an idiot and mom or more likely kids are the heroes who, who save the day from the bumbling idiot of dad. You know, that's the, or he's part of the problem at least. Again, that's an oversimplification, but you, you know that. You see that where it's like, this is not presenting a biblical view of, of these things. Again, doesn't mean we never watch them. It means we recognize and understand them and are engaged in them. And, and media is a powerful influence. That's why commercials and advertisements are out there. Right? I mean, how much money is spent tonight on Super Bowl commercials? Because we are all unaffected by them. Yeah, they're just throwing money away just because they feel good. No, because we are affected by them. I remember our kids watching whatever that uh, show used to be, uh, the Cubo channel or something, and it was like um, pillow pets. We got, I don't know how many pillow pets we have because there was these infomercials about pillow pets, and my kids were all like, we have to have pillow pets. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like a pillow and a stuffed animal, and you have both. Why do you possibly need this? Um, but media influences. And, and we got to recognize that technology has dramatically increased access to media. How has technology changed as it relates to media access since you grew up? Yeah, there's now internet. Yeah. Yeah, how many TV channels do you have growing up? Yeah, maybe four, three, four. You know, and uh, some of you are younger than others. You had more. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, you know, it, it, the, the volume has just exponentially, you used to have to actually time it to watch something that you wanted to watch, right? So if other things got in the way, you could not do that. Well, now it's like, no, you can watch it whenever you want, either record it, although that's kind of getting old. Either, you know, we're just going to have it there for you, waiting for you, so you can watch as much of it as you want whenever you, whenever you want. Yeah, it's now targeting you. Like, it knows, whoever it is what you have looked for and like like I've uh, I mean I, I looked for some office furniture so now every time I'm online there's like this ad for office furniture and I'm like I don't want office furniture I just was doing my job and now it thinks I'm desperate for office for you know but whatever it is it's like feeds us in that way it's crazy isn't it how it how it has uh, has changed and and do you think it's just gonna stay the same right now no I, I mean Ten years from now, what's it going to look like? Who knows? Um, so, what is our our role regarding media and technology? Look at Psalm one twenty seven briefly. Psalm one twenty seven is the psalm that reminds us that children are a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. And blessed is the man who's quiver is full of, of children. But the beginning of the psalm says this, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. This is a psalm that reminds us that God is ultimately the one who builds and prospers and who protects and watches. Now, is that Psalm saying you don't have to do any of those things? You don't have to build a house. You don't have to guard the city. No, elsewhere, clearly God, uh, God expects his people to be active, but to be active with the attitude that says we recognize our own helplessness and our need for God in these things. You know, I think the, this Psalm gives us the right attitude for our role, which is ultimately trusting the Lord, but, but being busy and, and being uh, proactive in, in these things. And it gives us kind of two categories of building and protecting that I think are, are also fruitful for us to think about. You know, our role, if I was to summarize it, it would be two things. It is, it is protection. You know, God has given you children so that you can guard them and you can you can um, allow them to grow in an environment that is, is going to be a blessing to them. You know, we tend to think regarding media and technology, we need to protect our kids, but we really need to think we need to protect our family, which includes us. I mean, today's day and age, the, 
just one issue of like access to sexually explicit content and, and how much more readily available that is than when we were growing up. And for many of us, it was readily available when we were growing up, but not to the degree that it is now. But it, it's more than that. It's, it's the whole worldview and, and the message that media communicates. We have to protect, but we also have to be preparing and training. You know, who do you want your kids to learn how to handle media and technology from? From the neighbor boy? From, you know, somebody at, at school? Do you want them to learn those things from them? No, you want them to learn that from you. It's, it's kind of like having a swimming pool in your backyard. We, we put in a pool this past year, and, uh, um, and it took about a year, but that's beside the point. Um, and... Uh, and, and our mindset with that with kids, and one reason we put it in now is because our kids are old enough that they can actually swim. Um, but if we, if we didn't have uh, kids who could swim, our, our desire would be those two things, to protect them, but also to prepare them. You know, if you have a kid who can't swim, your goal is not just to say, I want to keep you away from water for the rest of your life. Your goal is to say, I want to keep you away from water when you are not safe and protected because I know you can't swim and you will drown. But I also want to prepare you for a life of being around water because that's kind of what happens. And so we're going to work to help you learn how to swim. It's those two things that, that come in uh, as our role as parents with media and technology. Protection, not just throwing them in, but also not just protecting by the sense of saying, I'm never going to do anything with this. We're going to prepare you for what is coming. And so our, our goals really on that, uh, uh, related to those two things, have to be uh, shaping what media and technology influence your children's lives. Protecting them and, and guarding them to say, I'm going to be in charge of what influences you to the best of my ability. Now that doesn't mean you can control every situation, every circumstance that they're in, but you can do a lot of that, particularly as they are, are young and then through the access that you give them. You know, that starts at our house, limiting their exposure. It means we make intentional decisions about the devices that we have and the access to those things. It means we are careful to have filters and a variety of things in place such that they can't accidentally look at something or if they are striving to look at something. It means we don't just turn our kids loose with, with Netflix and say, have fun, hope you, hope you uh, find something good for the next six hours while I'm off doing whatever it is that I'm doing. We gotta limit their exposure, be in charge. We'll talk more about that in a second. It also means we gotta be thoughtful about others. You know, uh, instructing, our kids and talking to people they're spending time with about what it is that they're gonna be exposed to in those settings, being careful and wise. But we can't just limit their exposure. We also have to shape not only what media influences their lives and technology, but how that influences their lives. We have to teach our kids how to interpret media. We gotta ruin commercials for them and those things by helping them to know what is what this is seeking to do to them we can't just say you know have fun jump in and we'll see what happens or they're going to walk out buying the lie that is being sold through those different things this does mean that sometimes you don't get to really enjoy the media and the technology as much because you are having to think and interpret and dialogue with your kids I remember uh, uh, when the, uh, the movie High School Musical came out and uh, our girls, our older girls, I don't remember how old they were at the time, but they were excited to see it. They were young enough that we weren't excited for them to see it. And um, so we went back and forth for a while and um, they hadn't seen it. And finally, we, we got to the point where we said, you know, we will watch it with you. And so we watched it and we'd pause it and talk about it and watch it and pause it and talk about it. And, and the, the idea was to point out different things that are, are coming through, you know, what is it communicating is, is necessary for your happiness as you're in the teenage years. 
And, uh, and they still liked the movie, but they didn't like it as much as if we had just watched it all the way through <laughs> because it's like, okay, fine, yeah, you're kind of ruining this stuff. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's that willingness, and we don't do that every time they watch every movie, but we want to help our kids to see the, uh, the, the way that media and the way that those things shape and speak to us. You know, we joke with our kids about commercials, you know, when they uh, come on sometimes and, and they're like, hey, do we need this? And we're like, do you really need that? And like, yeah, okay, fine, no, probably not, uh, those things. So what does that look like for us in, in practice? Well, it means we have to be the authority over our kids' media and technology use. Realize that your kids don't have the right to media and technology use. They think they do, and they will tell you that every other kid in the world does, uh, that you're the only parents who don't let them do this, uh, as if they have actually polled every other child. Um, and if you're tempted to believe that, you can call me and, uh, or call someone else in this class, and they'll probably tell you that actually they haven't talked to my child because we don't let them do that either. Uh, but they think they have this right to it. And particularly as they get older and they have their own money and they want to buy something, they now think I own it and therefore I own this and I can do whatever I want with it whenever I want with it. Or maybe grandma buys them something or you buy them something for Christmas and they think now this is mine. And they think mine means I can use it however I want whenever I want. That's not true. Don't buy that lie. Let them know that no, I am still your Father and mother, you are still to obey me. I'm given by God to you to protect you, to keep your brain from turning into mush. And so I'm going to help you to know what's appropriate and I'm gonna use, we're gonna use this in a way that is, is right. So be the authority. Don't give over that role. And if you have already, you need to get it back. <laughs> You may have to sit down and have a hard conversation with your child that, you know what, it's not okay for you just to go watch whatever you want whenever you want. You have got to ask us and we're gonna lock stuff down however we need to such that that's going to be the case. You also have to be knowledgeable of your kids' media and technology use. As I mentioned, ignorance is not bliss. Though it seems blissful to have your child sitting off for hours enthralled by a little screen, and you're like, ah, uh, it's not. You need to know what they're doing. You need to be engaged. You know, for what this used to mean was like, don't put a TV in your kid's room. Well, now people are walking around with little TVs that can go wherever they want. And so we've got to be uh, thoughtful and careful with those portable devices. We'll talk about some ways we can do that here in a second. Don't uh, give unlimited access to to the internet or other, other things. Don't let them have it if you don't know what it can do. You know, the, the first time um, that my daughter asked for Instagram, I'll use that example again, um, I had little idea about what Instagram was or did or why you would want it. Now, I didn't want to spend all of my time, uh, you know, investigating it. Um, but I did need to look into it some and to see what are things and to talk to a few people to say, hey, you know, find a, a senior in high school that you trust and say, hey, why do people want this? And, and what's it good for? And uh, what are the dangers with it? Um, you know, we, I, when, when she wanted, she had to write me a little, a little list of the reasons why she wanted it and why, how she was gonna use it. What did you say? Oh, it was an essay, sorry, it was a persuasive <laughs> essay about why she should be able to get it. And um, little five paragraph essay, no big deal. Um, you know, if, if you don't know what it is and, and you haven't thought through that with your, with your children, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth just giving into the pressure to, uh, uh, to give them those things. Uh, so what, is, what does that look like for us? Um, well, let me we'll go over a couple other things and then we'll, we'll talk a little more practical. So be reasonable, third, with your kids' media and technology use. As I mentioned, the temptation is to say, like, nothing ever. <laughs> Like, okay, we're not gonna do anything. Well, what's gonna happen with that? Again, your, your kids are going to be exposed to things or they're going to leave your house eventually and they're going to jump headlong into this thing called Netflix that they never heard about it. And you know, 48 days later, they will emerge <laughs> with you know, bloodshot eyes and, and um, who knows. So be, be reasonable, be the authority, but I the easy answer is usually no, but sometimes we do have to say yes. 
But sometimes saying yes means, lastly, we have to be involved with our kids' media and technology use. It means we have to maybe sit and watch that movie that really isn't great, but it's painful, and yet we know we need to be there with our child in that way. That, that relaxing movie night is no longer you getting to watch what you love, but it's now you getting to watch what your kids are drawn to so that you can be engaged and involved in those things. One, uh, one practical thing that we have found very helpful in, um, in doing this with our kids is a, a device called, uh, called Circle, and there's other things out there that uh, may be, be helpful. We have found um, that to be a, a very useful tool for us. Actually, let me grab my phone and I'll see if I can show you. Um, so what, what Circle is, is a device that connects to your router, and there's some other ways that you can do things at the router level that are beyond me. Um, but it's a, it's a device that anything that goes through your home Wi-Fi network will, will be, um, defined at a certain filter level. You can set time limits and a variety of things. Um, we also pay, I think, $5 a month, something like that, for the Circle Go part of that, which takes those same settings and it puts them on a mobile device through a VPN, uh, which if you don't know what a VPN is, I don't really either, but it's kind of like you're logging in through something else. And um, it, it lets those same settings be true whether that device is on a, a cell phone network or whether it's on another Wi-Fi network. Um, and so it has proven to be very useful for us. It, that can be shut off on a phone uh, if your kids are tech savvy, but you get an alert letting you know those things and then you can just take their phone from for a lengthy <laughs> period of time. And so, um, you know, if there are, are things that come up. So I have an app on my phone, my wife has an app on her phone that is kind of the brains of the operation. And so, um, you can set different devices to different, I forget what they call them. Um, so like I have my daughter, Anna, um, and so the devices that she uses primarily, her cell phone, and she has a little um, little kind of Chromebook type thing that she uses for, uh, for school. Um, and so I can uh, set different settings for her. So like right now, she has a bedtime at nine o'clock, not her actual bedtime, but her device bedtime. Uh, so this is set where nothing that uses data works after nine o'clock. Um, occasionally we, we will give her additional time for that. Some of that is that we just want there to be time where we can't do stuff. Um, and some of it is we like to think that some people go to bed um, at nine o'clock, but none of her friends do according to her. <laughs> um, you can also do things like set time limits. So on that particular device, so she gets three hours is her daily time limit. Um, and you can also set that, those time limits for unique, specific uh, apps. So if you want to limit certain times on certain things, you can, uh, you can do that as well. Um, you can set filter levels. So there's some generic ones, and then you can go through and tell it to allow different things or not allow different things. That we, we do some of that, but we also just limit what they have on their device. So all of our kids that have any kind of a a portable device, um, we have found, I'm sure there's ways to do it with Android, but Apple, it's very easy to set restrictions. And so we just take a bunch of stuff off so they don't have Internet Explorer or, or Safari or whatever it is. They don't have um, uh, YouTube. They don't have app apps that, um, that allow them to have media access. And then they can't add apps without me, so we, we disable the ability to add apps. Um, and so if they want an app, they have to come and see me. So Anna, our 15-year-old, she's probably she's at a point where soon we will put Safari probably on her phone because there's enough legitimate things that she needs that for, and we have some settings in place where she can um, she can uh, be be protected by that. And and again, these are things that we have for ourselves too. So this is not uh, although we don't have like a three-hour time limit for ourselves, although we we could I guess <laughs> bedtime we can set that for each other. Uh, and so. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it, it's, it's been helpful. You can see history and different things through that. And uh, you can also pause stuff. So like if we leave the house sometimes, um, especially if we feel like either they're just going to waste a lot of time or we don't necessarily feel the vibe of trust at that moment, um, we, can, uh, we can pause internet. It's like nothing works. 
And uh, it's a simple way to, to ensure some of those, those things. You know, devices on TV, you know, we've got passwords and stuff through the Amazon Fire Stick or whatever so that they can't just get on and, and watch whatever they want, whatever they want, those kinds of things. So trying to be wise in that. Again, trying not to be um, Nazis who think, treat our kids like they're, they're um, you know, in prison, but also protecting them and preparing them. And, and again, trying to do stuff that is what we would, um, what we are doing for ourselves. So it's not just to say, hey, this is for a season in your life, but these are things we're all gonna have to be careful of for a long time. Oh, look at our dog. Um, so anyway, questions about those things? Uh, again, some of you have other, other things you've done and used that I'm sure are helpful as well. Yes, Kelly. Yeah, so we got rid of our home phone um, fairly um, early on. I don't think we ever had one at the house that we're at now. And so there got to a point where we needed our girls to have a phone um, when they hit the age where we were leaving them by themselves. Um, or we were sending them places where we wanted to be able to communicate with them. So our first phone for them was not her phone. It was, this is our family phone that you get to use sometimes. And so that was more where we started. Uh, actually, our, um, our, our girls, the way that we have handled that, um, we, we will always provide what we think they need uh, and by need, I don't mean what they want at all. I mean what we need to function as a family well. Um, but if they want it to be more theirs, they have to have displayed the level of responsibility that we're comfortable with that. They actually have to pay 10 bucks a month toward the cell phone bill. And um, because I want them to begin taking ownership and responsibility for that. So right now, our older two, Anna and Abby, who are 15 and 14, have their own phone that is actually not their own. It's uh, it's my phone, and I can take it when I want to, or my wife can. Um, but they, they, have, they are financially contributing and responsible enough to where we are okay with that. We still have guidelines and rules. Um, with that family phone, what we did was, um, you know, when we were introducing things like texting, so we would dumb down what was on there, you know, very few apps. I don't know that they had games or really anything on it at first. Um, it was, you know, and we said, if you're going to text somebody, mom gets to read the text before you send it. And that wasn't so much that we were worried about, um, you know, them texting bad stuff as much as it's just text is a medium that, that you can easily misunderstand or communicate in ways that you, you don't intend to. And so we wanted just to help them learn how to do that. So like Anna, our oldest, is not very, she's more like me. She's pretty concise. Um, in her communication, and so her friend will send a long thing, and her response is yes, bink. and it's like you know, um, I mean that's right, and that's there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not necessarily communicating your heart in that response. So why don't you try again, and um, you know, and so she tried a little more, you know, and so just trying to help, help train in some of those things. We did that with email first. Now nobody cares about email, so. I don't think our other kids have asked for email yet, but um, so that was kind of how we how we handled it. Um, and so right now we have we have five phones in our family. Christy has one, I have one. Our older two girls have one, and then we have one other one that is our kind of home phone that our younger kids can share. And um, so they will occasionally text friends or do things through that, but they're they're at the stage where they need to be showing Christy those things, and we can look at that. So. Again, that's kind of how we, how we handled it. We're with, uh, um, as we, as we had kids. Other other questions, thoughts? Um, there are there are certainly people who are much more uh, tech savvy than me. If you have issues with with kids who are um, really sharp in those areas and and trying to get around things and and do stuff. Um, one, there's, there's a lot of the stuff we've already talked about regarding discipline and instruction that's going to play in those things. But if you need help in, in some of those kinds of things, there are people in our church who'd be happy to help you, and I can refer you to some of them. 
but um, it's a again it's and and don't hear me saying that technology is bad. There's some good things that have come through technology. I'm really thankful for the day and age that we live as well. You know, our sister and my sister-in-law is in Turkey and they're having a reception last night and her brother-in-law Jakob is WhatsApping me videos of them cutting the cake and it's like this is a pretty sweet deal that we can do these kinds of things and we can stay in touch with people who live in other parts of the world and, and different things. So it's not all bad, but we do have to be careful what, we, uh, what we're doing and not just um, let it sweep us along inadvertently in those ways. Uh, there's a couple other books that are helpful on technology. Um, Tim Challies has one and a couple others. So I think those are on your parenting list as well. But let's pray. If you have other questions, we'll stick around. We'll talk some more next week about issues like evangelizing kids and sports and some other things. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you that you have given us your word that is intended to, to shape our hearts and our minds and uh, to give us wisdom that we need as parents. And uh, Lord, we recognize that these are complicated days that we live in and there are so many competing and contradictory messages to your word that our kids are hearing, that we're hearing, and we long to, to remain fixed in our, our thinking on, on the truth of you and your word, and we long to instill that in our kids. And what I pray that you would give us grace as we seek to raise kids who will grow up to display biblical masculinity and femininity, that you would give us insight into what that looks like and how to model that well and encourage that. And Lord, as we deal with media and technology, help us not to just ingest all that our world throws at us, but to be careful to protect ourselves and our own hearts and, and our kids and their hearts and minds. And, and then help us to have wisdom to prepare our kids to live in a world that is saturated with these things and, and to prepare them for the technology that will come 30 years from now that we don't have any idea what it will be, but we want them to think well about it and, and to think wisely and to be guarded in, in how they handle those things. And uh, Lord, give us grace to that end. Lord, we recognize each of our kids are are unique, have different challenges and struggles, and, and so things will look different, but we long to be faithful as parents in these ways. In Christ's name, amen.